Shenzhen is no longer a fishing village, and Shenzhen is one of the richest cities in China. It's called、uh, Silicon Valley in China, and I think the population、uh, when I was there was about fifty thousand people, and now people could be saying any time between like sixteen million to eighteen million. What's good, everyone? And thank you so much for tuning into episode fifty-three of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs and those practicing the financial independence retire early movement about the best investments they've made in themselves that helped get them to where they are today. Hey, everybody! So today on the show, we've got a certified financial planner, public accountant, and a chartered financial analyst who is the founder and president of her company, Echo Wealth Management. This next guest has quite the story. As she grew up in China, and at the age of 20 years old, she decided to leave for the U.S. to pursue her dreams with nothing but $800 to her name. And now she helps executives and entrepreneurs see their money differently and with confidence, so that they can achieve their goals. So we're going to find out what drove her to success and how she did it. So for episode 53, we bring you Echo Huang. How are you doing today, Echo? I am doing well, Jordan, and、uh, my pleasure to be on the show. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I, I'm glad we can connect and and we can bring you on to share your story. I, we'll get to talk about your book as well, but just how you started your own company. It's certainly not an easy task. <laughs> I know it's a it's going to be a long story, but I will keep it short and brief. <laughs> Good, please share all the golden nuggets and secrets that you can. And how have you and your family been adapting to the new normal of life? Yeah, yeah, we are doing well in terms of you know avoiding COVID and、uh, working and studying from home. So we are doing fine, thank、sure. you. And、um, we live here in Minneapolis, the suburb of Minneapolis in Minnesota. So it's、uh, okay. It's how would I say? It's it's not too huge in terms of city, not like New York or San Francisco, but in the Midwest, it's just the right size for me. How do you like winter? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I I have tried to live in Canada for、uh, one winter. So、um, and that was actually before I came to Minnesota.、Oh, really? And、uh, but Minnesota is actually colder than、uh, colder than Calgary. Oh, is it?、Uh, well, yeah. And so, anyway, in the winter,、um, you know, I can always complain about the winter, but I have adapted because I've learned how to dress in layers and、right. the wool socks and everything. And、uh, of course, underground、uh, parking garage really help. Yes. And、um, so I, I would say this is、uh, my real home now, and、uh, this is my. I'm a true Minnesotan. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you found a place that's not too big, but like comfortable, and you find、yeah. a good place to to raise your family and start a business. And so, how are you adapting and helping your clients through the thick of of everything? Yeah, you know, when we、uh, when we go back to the principle of investing, we always want people to remember they need to plan ahead before market crashes. Yeah. So、uh, since I have gone through、uh, this is、uh, three market crashes.、Uh, During my career in the past twenty years, this time I do believe that I have prepared better, and my clients have prepared better. So during this market downturn, most of my clients,、um, I mean, my clients have recovered、uh, already in terms of portfolio、uh, from the market low. So I think, in a way, it's just really going back to relationship building when there is a trust in the relationship. 
uh, it's much easier to help clients uh, sleep better at night, and you know, I'm managing the money on their behalf, and it's it's all about communication. Right. And uh, so I just continue to communicate. It's so true. Even though we don't see them in person, but they know we are working behind the scene, and they can nowadays with technology, they can see their portfolio balance and everything on. On the website, I call it Echo Dashboard. So every single oh, nice. every single client has uh, their own portal. They can see the. Well, I hope. Th- yeah. I hope they're looking in moderation because I know my dad when when March was happening, he was clicking refresh every five minutes. So I was like, <laughs> Dad, you should not do that. No, no. <laughs> you know the funny thing is, um, some clients even said to me, they say, you know, this is the time I actually choose not to look because they are like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't do anything about it at this moment anyway. And uh, there was one client. So after four weeks of what downturn, he called me up one day and he actually thanked me. He said, I finally I'm brave enough to check on my Echo dashboard. I haven't as lo- I haven't lost as much as I thought I would. Good. <laughs> so it's it's kind of interesting to see, you know, why we didn't get the pen and phone calls. And I think I would definitely credit to the, you know, the work, the planning work we have done and the communications we have done. Right. And you know, that is just part of the business. I think I've been in the business long enough to understand that. Uh, you just can't invest in stock market just for next year. Yeah, I no. mean, it's for a decade or multiple decades. Yeah, that, well, that's the smart way to do it. And it's just not a healthy approach when you expect things too quickly. Nothing good happens overnight, right? Exactly. Worst thing would be trying to make a decision within a few seconds, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, that's so good that you've you solidified that foundation because when push comes to shove, it's ultimately just being there for your clients. And when they feel that presence... Um, you know, that, that's how you build a sustainable business. So good for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I can tell you that, yes, it was challenging for many industries. Obviously, we know, we know many industries may never recover quickly. Yeah. Uh, but I think fortunately for the work I do, you know, the business I am in as a wealth manager, this is the time clients really need us. Yeah. So in a way, you know, it's my business is going on just as usual in terms of, you know, revenue and how we do things. So it I don't have the problem of shutting down business like certain industries. So in a way, we are very fortunate. Yeah, no, that's great that you can keep on trucking along and because things Mm -hmm. will get back to normal, they will bounce back and um, just -hmm. goes to show you've put in the right work. Now, I want to get into your story. Now, whereabouts are you from in China? I came from uh, the place called Shenzhen, China. Uh, to give you a little bit okay. perspective, I was born and raised in China in actually a very rural village, uh, a place without uh, running water and with unreliable electricity. And my parents were high school teachers. They were assigned by the government to work in two separate villages. So my dad and wow didn't live with us uh, for the first eight years of my life. And uh, and finally, when I was eight years old, both of my parents were able to move to a bigger town with a better electricity and running water. Amazing. And uh, so a family of five, actually, I should say six, because my grandma came to take care of three of us when I, right after I was born. Right. So we finally, when I was 12 years old, my parents moved the family to Shenzhen in 1983. 
I, I was 12, yeah, 1983. Okay. And at that time, Shenzhen was just a fishing village on the border of Hong Kong. Right. And, Can you elaborate uh, on the expansion? Because Shenzhen yeah. has those stories. Like, I know. So <laughs> I, I, for your listeners, Shenzhen is no longer a fishing village, and Shenzhen is one of the richest cities in China. It's called uh, Silicon Valley in China. Oh. And I think the population uh, when I was there was about 50,000 people. And now people could be saying anytime between like 16 million to 18 million. Right. Uh, just imagine Shenzhen is looking like Hong Kong, I think succeeding faster than Hong Kong now. Wow. Uh, so I can, I mean, I was very impressed. I was there last uh, June, my daughter's first trip to China wow. in five cities over 16 days. And she told me that her favorite city is Shenzhen. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's great. That was the last city we were going to visit, right? So she was like, yeah, I, I like Shenzhen because Shenzhen is very clean, very modern. Yeah, I'm sure mom <laughs> but, put in some good some good words, though, for it before you got there, too. Well, it's uh, it's it's kind of, you know, it's it's amazing to to be able to actually show uh, yeah. a teenage a teenager, right? Because when when my daughter, I mean, was born here and, you know, you know, you can read things about China, but it's not the same. When no, you, it's so true. It's not to, the same like, when you go there and you see it. Actually. And your senses exactly. take everything in. Exactly. And the great food, people and everything. So, so that's where I came from in Shenzhen. And, um, and then let me think. Um, and well, so from there, like, where did your passion for finance and business come from? Was it was it seeing the expansion of the city or just was there any certain moment where you're like, this is what I want to do? Yeah, let me let me think. I think it was really important for people to know that I was able to watch Hong Kong TV using antenna on the balcony. Ooh, was that and, illegal uh, technically? Actually, everybody was doing it at that time. So I guess I today, I don't know. I don't think today people do that. But today people don't need to do that anymore. Right. Everything's on the Internet. Right. Yeah. I mean, as you can imagine, but I'm talking about like 1983. Uh, we were, you know, most people watching Hong Kong TV. Of course, we turned the channel. We could watch the, you know, government TV as well in mainland China. Right. But ha having the exposure to the outside world through Hong Kong radio and Hong Kong TV as a teenager, I believe I was really able to imagine someday I could potentially travel outside of China. So one, I would say my role model at that time, let me think about it first. Yeah, I okay. had That's a dream. incredible. I just want to say like... <laughs> Can you imagine the context of like how how Americans would lose their mind if if all of a sudden, say, just a small city like Dallas were to you know grow by ten million population in in a decade or something like people wouldn't be able to fathom it in North America almost. Yeah, people can't imagine it. That's why no. I'm trying to first tell people what <laughs> where I was. That yeah. was at the beginning when the when Shenzhen was uh, chosen as the first special economic zone by the former leader Deng Xiaoping right. to test to test special capitalism within the socialist society by creating tax incentives wow. to attract foreign investments. So he was uh, he had the foresight to 
create something trying to copy Hong Kong in a way, right? You know, because it's next to Hong Kong on the border, mm-hmm. and uh, it has been the success story. And of course, there were there were more uh, economic zones since the first one, right, along the coast. But uh, in terms of my, you know, my big influence uh, for my future, I I want to first mention. I was uh, a dreamer, <laughs> definitely. You a have dreamer. to be, yeah. <laughs> I had to be a dreamer, thinking someday I would be able to cross the border and potentially visit other countries in the world. When China was a very close society, mm-hmm. and I was reading many books written by a woman author from Taiwan. Uh, her name was Echo Chan, so you could imagine I took her name as oh, my middle name. Yes, and uh, she, she as a citizen of Taiwan, she was freely, you know, she was able to travel to other countries freely, unlike mainland China, right? Right. So, so she wrote, visited, I think, more than fifty countries, and wrote many books about people living in the U.S., in the U, in Europe, and even in Sahara Desert. Wow. And I was, she was definitely my role model in terms of opening up my eyes to the world as a teenager. And so I said to myself, someday I will do it too, you know, as a like independent woman. And so that had definitely had influence. And then later, as I saw the, the city being developed and it was really important for me to see opportunities uh, such as business opportunities. Uh, so I right. didn't go to the traditional route of education. Uh, so I didn't go to senior high school. I went to a school of business and economics for a three-year accounting diploma. Okay. So I was able to obtain accounting diploma when I was 17, and I started my uh, job with the Bank of China and making more money than my parents as <laughs> teachers. Wow. So, so in a way, I really didn't go with the conventional way for education. And I think I, as the firstborn child, it was much better for me to help my parents so that they don't have to pay for three daughters' college education within four years. Yeah, true. Because we were born very closely. Like, we were born within four years. Yeah. And so that turned out to be something I think... Um, you know, I, I was very good with numbers for sure. And I think more importantly, I I thought business and finance are fascinating, especially when I was growing up in a city that was changing so quickly. Right. And yeah. uh, so, you know, being able to watch Hong Kong TV, of course, I learned a lot more about the U.S., the outside world, the world, Wall Street and everything. Yeah. So compared to many people from China, I probably experienced a very different kind of exposure when I was a teenager. Right. And uh, so one one day opportunity came. Oh, I started studying English um, when I was working at the bank. I I took uh, classes, English classes at night, thinking someday if I'm able to get out of China, I probably really need to speak good English. So so that was my biggest investment of time, I would say. Well, uh, maybe just, you quit. You quit your job to 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 focus on mm-hmm. your English studying, right? At, at one point, I 
I had to because uh, when one day when my uncle called me from University of Idaho, and he knew I wanted to get out of China if I had the opportunity to pursue further education, so he said, "Well, I may be able to help you when I am, you know, temporarily here as a research." Uh, like chemistry scholar, right. right? So I decided right away to quit my job after three years of working there. Many people were very shocked because at that time I didn't even have a passport. So I I just decided that opportunity, I, I simply couldn't miss it. And I quit my job. I went to Guangzhou, the capital city in Guangdong province to study English full time for I close to four months before taking the TOEFL exam. Uh, TOEFL exam is test of English as a foreign language, uh, right. which is required for many international students to get into American universities. So I was very lucky to obtain a full time student visa. One day, that was one of one of my luckiest day. Oh. It was the day I obtained a full time student visa Amazing. to study undergraduate program here as a finance student, which is extremely rare, Jordan. Yeah. If you, at that time, in nineteen ninety two, when I came here in January, very few Chinese could come here without going to graduate school or with a scholarship. So I came here to start from freshman, and I was at the University of Idaho for the first year uh, to live with my uncle's family to save some money. But very quickly, I found out it was way too expensive. As a foreign student, I had to pay non-resident tuition. So it's not the resident tuition. I think total cost per year, including housing, uh, close to 10000 a year. Oh goodness! Was, and this was this was in nineteen ninety-two. My and goodness! So I you're ahead I of the had, curve. <laughs> I had to find a second way because there's no way I could borrow that much money from everybody. I was borrowing some money from my uncle, and, and it but, was much harder to get a student loan. I imagine back then. Oh, they would not even give you a student loan. That no. there's no chance because you're a foreign student. Now and they then, hand them out uh, like candy, but not that. Oh, exactly. Now, well, remember. Um, the second week I was in the U.S., I started washing dishes at the cafeteria for $4.25 per hour. And the maximum hours I could work per week on campus was 20 hours. Oh. So still, I couldn't, I couldn't make it, right? I mean, so no, luckily, no. I was doing some networking, just talking to foreign students, and somebody told me, that his girlfriend was paying resident tuition in Minnesota uh, because Minnesota State University system offers uh, some foreign students with scholarship to allow foreign students to pay resident tuition with two conditions. You need to maintain high GPA and you need to sign a contract with your university to introduce your own culture to the local communities. Isn't it amazing how all the states are different so you could find that? Oh, oh my gosh. Did you know when once I heard that was possible, I picked up the phone and I called international student office here. And I just told them, I said, I just want to transfer. And of course, I had had a 4.0 GPA, so I had no problem. Uh, getting the scholarship. And so I packed my bags um, 
in March to uh, March 1993, when I landed in Minneapolis airport here, it was still freezing cold in March. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's unpredictable that that cold front by the lakes along like, oh, it's interesting. But welcome to uh, yeah. welcome to the great white north. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, as I reflect back in China where I was, um, I think a couple, a couple of stories came to mind. One was one time, I think I was 19 years old. I was making good money at the bank, right, compared to my school teacher parents. And my mom and I went to a Western grocery store. We saw uh, Washington apples and grapes displayed very neatly and some uh, cheese, all kinds of cheese. And the prices were so high. We could not afford anything compared to the, you know, Chinese markets. Right. So when we left the grocery store with nothing, um, I just told my mom, I said, someday I will bring you to this kind of grocery store and you will never need to look at the price. You just buy everything you want. Oh, your great daughter. <laughs> I, you know, I, I forgot I said that, but my mom reminded me many years later. That's amazing. My mom, you know how it is, your, your brain, you don't remember exactly what you said, you know, like 20 years later. And then when my, my daughter was born, my mom came to take care of her from China for three months. So we have a lot more time to talk and reflect. Yeah. And one day she said to me, Hey, remember we went to the, you know, first like Western grocery store. <laughs> so she reminded me what I said. And of course she was very moved. Yeah. And I just kept thinking. So that was one thing came to my mind in terms of my journey there. And then the second thing uh, came to my mind was how difficult it is for my mom to let me go. Well, that too, it, right? It, it, I want to give people some perspective. You know, at that time we had no internet. Okay, so people need yeah. to understand that at that time, a long distance phone call was uh, from U.S. to China was about one dollar per minute. Wow. Imagine I was only making four dollars and twenty five cents per hour. And you can only work 20 hours a week. Right? Yeah, I know. There's no way you could, you know, do much. Right. So I no. when I when I left China at the train station, Shenzhen train station, my mom was feeling bad and sad because she couldn't give me a lot more money because all my savings pretty much after I went to school to learn Chinese English mm -hmm. and then bought an airfare like a one-way airfare I didn't have much money left and then you know at that time I was making like a hundred dollars per month at that time Chinese were not rich right so yeah. hundred dollars per month was considered high wages at the bank and so $800 was all I have. I mean, my mom gave practically everything she has saved. And she believed so, in you, right? She was like, I'm yeah. going to do it. Give it to her and like just. Yeah, but I think she she just was really sad. She couldn't give me more to help me out. And then yeah. she didn't know when she would be able to see me. So when she was in tears at the Shenzhen uh, train station, I comforted her and say, you know, mom, don't worry. You have uh, given me the two most important things, yeah. uh, a smart brain and uh, courage to try new things in life. Seriously, courage, though, Echo. Like, this is so inspiring because think about how risk-averse we've become as a society, yet you have to take those risks when you see them to, you know, to really evolve like you have. 
Yeah, I think、uh, you know. Right now, I can reflect back because as I lived here for twenty、uh, eight years, so、yeah. I've lived here for twenty eight years, and、um, I, I, you know, as I reflect, what got me here? I sometimes think that, of course, my mom has been a great role model as an independent woman and very、mm. resourceful. And adaptable, so I think she is such a great role model for me early on in life, and、um, and also I really appreciate the fact that she she has the confidence in me to let me leave. Yeah, you know, let me leave the country with very little money. Of course, and, well, you're、uh, her baby, and and then you're taking <laughs> on the world. And well, so if we can segue this into the next,、uh, mm-hmm. my next question would just be: so, how difficult was it starting in America as a female as well? Yeah, it. I think you know my my journey. When you think about, finally, I ended up in Minnesota, right? So I actually changed my major from finance to accounting because the job market at that time was not good, and foreign students、okay. only had one year to look for a job after graduation. If you don't have a job, a company to sponsor you, you have to go back to your home country. And so, an accounting professor told me that if you can pass the CPA exam, you are pretty much guaranteed a job. I think that it's still true today. Right. If you are a CPA in the U.S., I don't think you would lose your. You, you know, you have a job、uh, unemployment problem. So I I took I changed my major from finance to accounting at that time, so that I was able to find a job very easily. And then I passed the CPA exam, and then、uh, later, I worked for KPMG, one of the largest CPA firms in、uh, in the world,、uh, in Minneapolis office. I worked as a tax、uh, specialist, so I helped many corporate executives and wealthy families with their tax planning, personal financial planning, and I also prepared their tax returns as well. So I did that for three years. Uh, three tax seasons, and I realized that I enjoy the financial planning work a lot more than the compliance work of preparing、okay. tax return. So I I call myself a recovering <laughs> CPA because I just don't want to do tax returns anymore. And so in two thousand, I decided to change my career. That was such a pivotal moment because I left the conservative, secure occupation with the largest CPA firm in the world. <laughs> to become a financial advisor, who is like Asian woman, a new immigrant, without any wealthy friends and families. Right. Well, it's、like um, the most difficult hill to to climb up. <laughs> I, you know, I felt like at that time I was trying my best. How I, I think the very few people do what I do,、uh, even today.、Uh, yeah. So at that time, that was twenty years ago. Yeah, it was twenty years ago. My goodness, I'm telling、Impressive. you, two decades, two decades have gone by. Yeah, but I think the major obstacles for women is that we don't have enough role models. That's a good point because, like you I, said at the beginning, the role model played such a big、yes. factor. Yes, because if people don't see role models, they don't even consider this as a viable career path. Yeah. Well, think about people graduating from college. Now there are some universities that、uh, offer financial planning major, but 
previously we we didn't have financial planning as a major. You you go to school of business maybe, but you could be you could study accounting, finance, or economics or business administration, right? Yeah. So a lot of I think women normally when they think about financial and accounting, they normally think about the work that is、uh, either behind the scene doing accounting work. Or do, being a financial analyst for corporations and insurance companies, right? But they are not the people who do business development,、uh, such as rainmaker, right? So it's it's very rare. So the way I saw why I I had the obstacle, I think the biggest obstacle was、uh, my first job was with a very large firm、uh, as a financial advisor. But I was looking so young.、Uh, even though when I was thirty, I was probably looking like twenty-four.、Um, <laughs> That's just kind a- of the Asian. Asian look, right? Asians <laughs> look just young. So well, so. it's just the way, it's true. <laughs> so, so it wasn't. A, a, I mean, it didn't help me initially when I was looking too young.、Oh, so <laughs> I had to.、Right. I had to think of a different ways to build a reputation before they. Come to see、yeah. me. So, in addition to networking with my colleagues who are CPAs, so I need to gain their trust so that they understand that I have integrity. I actually have all kinds of training,、uh, even though I was very young. But you know, I started young, so yeah, you just have to so take I was able to. Though, right? I I have to sell myself. Into, you know, I have to explain to people. Cannot just judge you based on how you look.、Yeah. So in a way, I was really doing a lot more networking to gain people's trust, so they they understand what kind of people I'm looking for in terms of referrals,、yeah. and I tell them that you know, hey, look, I I am a tax CPA. I have worked for KPMG for almost four years. I prepare tax returns, all kinds of tax returns,、yeah. and there are not that many financial advisors have that experience. So I was able to build a reputation as someone who is extremely analytical, have very strong tax planning experience, and combining with communication skills. And I just tell them that you know I am gonna take good care of your, your whoever you refer to me. So I think I started out with of course smaller accounts, yeah. but yeah. gradually build that up. So three years later, I decided to quit and start my own business when I was thirty-two、uh, years old.、Okay. So that that was another major challenge, as you could imagine, because I was finally like really like on. You're comfortable、own. too, like in one spot. You're like, <laughs> all right, let's segue over here. <laughs> After three years, I was thinking, well, you know, I I'm sure I'm gonna make some mistakes, but but I have some experience now, you know. So、yeah. I had at that time I had CFP designation. Oh, I had a CFP designation before thirty. Okay. So, so just so I just want to ask Echo as as a financial advisor, was this one where basically you're selling like the the institution's products for them, or were you actually doing financial planning as well? Uh, let me explain. Well, of course, the industry has evolved a lot in the past twenty years. True. And, yeah.、Uh, yeah, a lot. Let me just give listeners a little bit idea about in the U.S. Right in、yeah. the in two thousand, financial services is all about mutual funds because、yeah. people got burned from technology stocks, and then you know then people say, oh my god, I have learned my lesson. My ten technology stocks just went down to. 
toilet practically. <laughs> so then they are like, oh, yeah. now I need to diversify, just buy the best mutual funds based on mutual fund magazine or something. So you can see a trend kind of going towards diversification and yeah. mutual fund was a big deal. So most financial advisors, I think at that time would be helping client deciding what combination of mutual fund would be appropriate to build a portfolio after that That's crazy right. downturn of, you know, the tech, tech technology bubble burst yeah. it. And, uh, and then later I was able to do combination of both. Uh, when I started my own practice with LPL financial, uh, I was able to do most part of it. It was fee. Part of it at that time was still uh, some is commission for small accounts because right. the fee based account you couldn't do it until you have at least like a hundred thousand. You know, right? At time. It requires yeah, a net yeah. worth, yeah, minimum, right? So uh, I was one thing that really got me going is I was able to charge fees for doing financial plans, which is very unusual at that time, but. Yeah. I, I was used to charging fees when I worked for KPMG because that's the only way I got paid. So, <laughs> so right. it was very interesting when I told my financial advisor colleagues I was charging like minimum $500 to do a financial plan. And at least I was able to get some income in the door because I didn't have a huge portfolio to start. You had to start from zero. Yeah, you have that's to, so good. You had that side skill too. To I know. That. So the more I think about it, I was like, you know, the hardest thing is the first three years, right? Just like yeah. any business, how many businesses fail first three years, right? So I decided uh, to create to took out my home equity line of credit just in case I need it. I had a bare bone budget. I was thirty two years old and I didn't have a child yet, so I was able to get by with very little. And then because I have some planning fees coming in as an income, uh, and I really wanted to build a fee-based business instead of commission very yeah. early on because I just didn't like the idea of 100% commission. Yeah. And uh, so the first year, I think I had uh, about $33,000 profit. It doesn't sound much, right? But I survived. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. As long as you my... can pay the bills, eat and show up, right? It's it's not all bells and whistles. That was my first year. And then within three years, I was able to uh, have, uh, I managed about uh, $20 million for clients. Wow. And then, yeah. So, so finally, I was getting more comfortable and my daughter was born. And I decided to merge my practice with another firm as a partner, another small firm in town Okay. as a partner. Uh, at that time, there were five people there. So I was able to merge and bring my, you know, and became a partner there. So I was with that firm for almost 10 years, mainly serving corporate executives. And then five and a half years ago, I decided to leave that firm and start Echo Wealth Management. Uh, this time is 100% independent RIA, you know, Registered Investment Advisor. So in the U.S., we use the acronym like RIA being like 100% independent. So uh, right. I don't get paid by product vendors. Uh, that also gave me a lot more flexibility in terms of what kind of fees I charge and what type right. of investment. So I custom build. Uh, portfolio in-house for every single client. Oh, that's amazing because it, it is still such like, I think it was in the early 2000s, right? A lot of these products and the structures yeah. of these sales Beautiful. systems were made 
for one size fits all. But then if you've got all these other skills you can apply, it makes so much sense to go your own way. Well, I think the industry has evolved too. So think about is, right. think about the old days, uh, 100% commission. So you have to start a new year all over again, because even though if you have the best year, it's commission up front, then you have to start from zero the following year. My philosophy is I rather be a farmer so I can sow the seeds I want and I can harvest someday. You know, you, you, need, yeah. you need patience, right? But I rather build it that way. So in the future, it, I don't believe any year all my clients are going to leave me exactly in the same year, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> well, you hope that if you design it right and properly, then they wouldn't. Exactly. They wouldn't. Exactly. So, so that's why I, that's my business philosophy. And then right now, um, five and a half years later, right now, yeah. I um I have my team and I manage more than 120 million for about 80 clients. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Do do you mind elaborating just a little bit of what your custom portfolios entail for them? Yeah, sure. And of course, um you know, I really should mention about um my firm services. We offer two services they are, that are separate. So the okay. first service is financial planning service, and the second service is investment management service. So let me explain why I actually have two separate services and separate contracts for a client to sign. What I have noticed is there are some clients who are perfect for me to have for the long term, but they may not have the a million dollars right now for me to manage. Right. And they have all kinds of needs and they need to have an advice. So for that type of people, a lot of financial advisors, I'm talking about successful seasoned qualified financial advisors, they mm -hmm. may not want to take them on. Like you're 40 years old, most of your money is in company plan or stock option plan. <laughs> advisor can't really open an account and do trades, right? Yeah, yeah. So what I have decided to do is why not create a financial planning service and charge a reasonable fee for what I do? And that service entails comprehensive financial plan according to CFP standard. You know, certified financial planner has a standard what you do in terms of financial planning. You don't cut corners. You need to right. follow all the standard to provide advice objective advice in the main areas of financial planning. So it's very common to address their retirement planning, insurance needs, tax planning, uh, of course, as our location in their portfolio and estate planning and yeah. education funding and things like that. So I charge that. Uh, we built Echo Dashboard. That's what I say, why it's so <laughs> important to have Echo Dashboard. We use eMoney Advisors uh, tool because I started using it since 2005. So I'm a really a power user of the tool. What is good about it is it's cash flow based financial planning tool compared to some tools in the marketplace that are goal goal based planning tool that you don't see as much detail in terms of cash flow. Right. For me, as a CPA, everything is about cash flow. It's the most so, important thing. The cash is if you, tell me, if you tell me I can achieve my goal, but you don't show me the cash flow, I just don't believe yeah. it, right? Yeah. 
So I decided to create Echo Dashboard for every single client. So every single client. And so this is for those had, being plan like the for the financial planning and for the investment management. They could both. Well, practically everybody who have gone through the financial planning. Yeah. They also want me to manage their money, so then they sign, then they sign a separate contract for me to custom build their portfolio. Okay. But I wanted to be very clear why I have it separate because it's all about transparency, right? You, it's all about. I don't want people to feel that you know, hey, this service can be provided at no cost. Everything has a cost. Yeah. A good financial plan and solid advice and being proactive requires gathering all the data, analyze it, and you know it takes, on average, the first year client twenty hours of my time. Wow, great! That's a lot of time just to go through planning, right? Yeah. But then the investment construction, absolutely based on individual situation. So yeah. I have mostly ETFs. And um, because of low cost and highly liquid and no commission, yeah. And I, oh, I obtained a CFA charter. Maybe I can go back to that story and then tell you the custom portfolio. Yeah, sure. If you yeah, if you want to talk about a, a bit about that, because I know it's one of the most difficult exams in the world to pass. Absolutely. <laughs> I I you know I have to tell you that I underestimated the difficulty, uh, because when I dis. Well, I decided I love reading uh, more books about portfolio construction and using options. Right. Uh, you the know, through my career. Stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hedge equity and everything. But one day I thought, oh, maybe I should just take the CFA because since I love the deep knowledge about you know portfolio <laughs> construction and the world economy, and then after I started, you know, initially people said, well. Do you you don't really need it because right. I you know I was a business owner. I'm not looking for a job to get into another company. <laughs> I don't need that on my resume either. So, but but I started it. I started. I was like, wow, I I learned so much. Right, you know. Right. You just have there's just so much to learn. I under well, it's like the the bandwidth. The human brain can only take up so much information, and I think it's just what you need to know for that exam. Oh my gosh, it's the time that required to study to pass the exam, and uh, so it it was it was uh, half a year of study. Um, yeah, it took it took me finally uh, what I think um, two three years ago, three years wow. ago I think I hope I get the yeah. year right. Three years ago, I passed the level three. Amazing, <laughs> but like the amount of time it invested was, in that, it was at least a thousand to a thousand to fifteen hundred hours. And so you did all that studying in six months, sorry, or was that was like the first? No, that was, no, first that was the entire pro, entire program. Okay. Oh, a lot of people quit after level one because if they don't pass level one, there is no way they can get to level two, and then they don't pass level two, they should not go to level three. And it's not a cheap exam either; you got to pay every time. And they only offer once a year, um, oh, except right. the level one. So it takes a, a commitment. The reason why I want to explain the CFA is that people mm -hmm. need to know it. It's uh, it's very much like specialized license for financial advisors who really truly want to do more portfolio management on their own. Right. Uh, so for me, it, it has certainly have a benefit I see for my clients because a lot of my clients are corporate executives with concentrated stock in their company stock. 
And they can come with me with a portfolio with all kinds of investment and I need to analyze it. And, uh, you know, it it's, may not be appropriate to sell everything converted to cash, just hand it off to somebody else to manage. Yeah. And for me, it's important for me to look at not just, and I am able to use the option strategies to accompany the, you know, traditional way of investing like ETFs. Yeah. And it can be very low cost and tax efficient. So with that CFA charter, I don't need to outsource portfolio to outside manager. Oh, so, so that allows everything to be in-house with Echo Wealth Management. Yes, yes. Right. So I, I don't know the Canadian system that much, but if you think about if I cut out the middleman, the total cost is lower. Maybe that's easier to explain. Of course, exactly. <laughs> well, the less you have to pay other, uh, out, the less you have to outsource for, for any help, the the more money long-term you'll keep, exactly. And also when they talk to me, they know I am the decision maker. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not somebody just show you a statement. I can't explain why it was done because I actually did it. Yeah. So, you will. You have, you, all, <laughs> you are the power. Exactly. So, so I do want to explain that, you know, uh, certainly everybody's situation is different yeah. and that's why the portfolio as I, you know, the financial planning service is very in-depth. We track stock options, uh, restricted stock for this executive in the tool. So we model cash flow based on their pension, stock option exercise, tax consequences, estate planning. Within one tool, we can look at the estate planning flow chart. If they die, how the money would be distributed. So it's extremely echo well, echo dashboard is a very comprehensive tool for clients uh, to, you know, for me to use, but for clients to see. It's very valuable to to be able to have created that dashboard in house too. So you're bringing people to what you know what you offer. They can't get this type of service or this type of user experience elsewhere. So yeah. So most of my clients are most of my clients are successful and busy professionals, uh, including executives for uh, you know working for Fortune okay. 500 companies and some successful entrepreneurs. They are relatively young compared to the clients of other wealth management firms because maybe because I I intentionally target people who are not extremely wealthy yet. <laughs> you know how that goes. Yes. It's like I want to grow with them. That's I maybe love hearing that. Yeah. It's so true. Grow with your clients over time. You know, when people, you know, this is actually very typical. I have some very successful high income corporate executive client with, you know, equity compensation and complexity right. and in their forties and have three kids going to private school. Well, they may only have less about half a million, you know, that they say, well, that is a lot for them too, yeah. you know, to hire somebody to manage. And we are able to help them to build from there. Uh, when they're, you know, help them save more, it's really important to get them on a saving plan. Yeah. They tend to save more when they work with a really competent financial advisors. And then another thing I think it's really valuable for people to see is currently I have a lot of clients ranging from half a million. The highest, I think, uh, household is a little bit over 12 million. So you can kind of see, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty wide range, right? Yeah. But average age is maybe about 52 to 53 because I have grown 
older as well <laughs> in the past, whatever, yeah. 10, 10 years, right? 10 to 15 years uh, serving these people. Of course, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I think when you ask about portfolio construction, I think I definitely want to emphasize uh, diversification, yeah. low cost, tax efficiency, and it has to be very we must consider clients' willingness to take risks and also capacity to take risks before we build a portfolio. Because let me give you one example. Mm -hmm. Willingness to take risk is we can use the tool. We use risk allies to see how what their risk number is. Is their preference in terms of risk versus return? Is their preference? That's one score we look at. But then by building the financial plan using Echo Dashboard, we are able to see, do they have a capacity to take risk? Meaning we need to look at the time horizon. We need to look at, are they actually saving enough to achieve their goal? So both need to be considered to come up with the target risk number. So what the target risk number is going to dictate how many percent in the stock market versus the bond market and you know cash. And then once client looked at hypothetical portfolios, showing them during the last market crash, what this hypothetical model would lose compared to the benchmark, they are able to say, you know, Echo, I want to turn down, tone down the risk a little bit, or I want to get up a little bit. So we are able to show them multiple models to help them gauge how they will react in the next downturn. And then once we agree on the risk number, meaning the target asset allocation, then I manage their money with a discretionary trading authority, meaning that I don't need to seek their approval every time for whatever trades I'm going to do because we assume that- You're on the same page, the, right? We are on the same page. Yeah. You don't want me to waste more time to get you to sign another hundred pages of forms just for, for compliance reason. Yeah. And so that's how we build client portfolio. And they can see their, you know, on their iPhone app, they can see everything every single day if they want to. Yeah. Well, that's what's so important with doing your research and finding a, a good advisor, uh, investment advisor to manage your money. Because I think a lot of people generally um, don't put in that time and they'll be referred from a friend. And just And it, that's mm -hmm. easier, but you know, the value you're going to get out of someone that really cares and does it well is going to be a lot more. Now, I do want to ask the Echo. Now, a lot of people, unfortunately, do not have a net worth anywhere close to that. A lot of people have a much lower net worth or even in a negative net worth. So mm -hmm. what advice would you give to someone in that position just to, you know, get started with investing? Um, as, as a finance coach or money coach, I just try to get people started with one ETF and dollar yeah. cost averaging monthly. Yeah. Um, and so, so do you mind elaborating how the average person can kind of just get on that track to start saving and investing so that they can hopefully get on, on the path yes. to, to coming to someone like you? Well, imagine I started with $800. So you could imagine I started it can from be done. very, yeah. it can be done, right? Yeah. So uh, yes, today there are many uh, ways to invest. Of course, you know, uh, low cost exchange trading funds and you can buy yeah. total market funds and so I would say first, they need to understand how much emergency fund they need before yeah. they invest in stock market. I cannot emphasize enough about that because in the end, 
people make emotional mistakes about investing when they sell exactly when market crash, right? During market yeah. crash or after market crash is number one, they, they, it's based on fear and greed, right? You know, emotional investing. Yeah. So some people, but they didn't plan for emergencies, the job loss, illness, and all the other unexpected stuff. If the stock have to be sold at loss simply because they didn't have enough emergency fund, that's really sad because it it's really difficult to recover. So and I just, sorry, I just want to say, yeah. cause like, isn't it so unfortunate that that foundational knowledge of like money versus emotion is not taught. So it's, you know, it's just one of those things that it sucks that people do get suckered into it, right? Like, yeah, you know what? I believe, I believe most uh, do-it-yourself investors, when they make the big mistakes, normally is either they trade too frequently, right, yeah, or they it. don't save enough, right? Yeah. Practically, those are practically two things, right? They they just trade without any strategy. That's terrible. They lose money for sure. And then uh, another thing I was thinking is yeah. um, I would agree after you get at least six months of your living expenses is something safe, earning mm -hmm. interest that you can tap into for emergency purposes. Then for your intermediate goal and the long-term goal, you can make it relatively simple and do a dollar cost averaging. In Canada, you probably also have a retirement plan, but in the U.S., of course, we have company-sponsored plan, we have IRA. There are many ways you can open an account with $500 and start investing. Yeah, so, well, I'm trying yeah. to spread the the knowledge of, well, in Canada, we have the tax-free savings account, which is, mm -hmm. um, it kind of goes back to the point where you mentioned where you want to be a farmer, you want to plant seeds that you'll mm -hmm. sow in the future. So yeah. it's like in the U.S., the traditional or no, not the traditional, but the, the Roth IRA, right? Where yes. you can invest the after tax. Yeah. In, in the, you know what, that's one thing I did extremely well. Um, and I have helped a lot of people is good. If in the U S when your income is not high enough, income is big factor in the U S the Roth IRA. Normally you put in when your income is not extremely high and you use yeah. after tax to put in, but it will be tax free. But then traditional IRA is different depending on your income, you can deduct. But I think for a lot of younger folks I'm talking to, early on, you really need to maximize your Roth IRA contribution. So I, true. Yeah. I have done it uh, very well for myself. And in addition to doing that, I also converted all my IRA to Roth IRA when my income was low. Uh, when I started my business, always the first year, my income was crazy low. Remember how many times my income just went down? I was like, I hope my next year is not $33,000. <laughs> well, you got to invest so, that money in the business, right? To keep it going. That's yeah, just the but, reality of it. But it's kind of like over time, it really helps if you think about, you know, religiously safe enough for rainy days. And then yeah. also don't forget the employer matching uh, and just... Yeah. Uh, overcome behavioral uh, mistakes. I I cannot emphasize enough. That's uh, extremely important. So yeah, it, it's it's very much so. It's it's a lot of the times that short term mentality or not knowing the the fundamentals. But it's just it's great with social media and these different platforms, podcasts. So hopefully, people can take those small steps because investing is not something you learn unless your I think your parents really did it. 
Um, my parents didn't teach me that. I mean, they taught me good, you know, like work ethics and right. things. They had no idea about financial planning, you know, investing. And I had to learn it myself. And uh, and that's well, exactly why. you either why. have parents to teach you or you learn it yourself. Exactly. Like- <laughs> I know. And, and what happened for me was I learned more and more. And then I decided to be a financial advisor. So yeah. I made that transition from. So I was thinking to help you. In, uh, in terms of your readers, right, your listeners. Yeah. And um, I, because I'm so passionate about, you know, educating and inspiring more people to start financial planning now to own their future, I I, I have written my new book, uh, Own Your Future. Yes. Yeah, sorry, Echo, it's taken us so long to get here, but please tell us sorry. more about the book. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> I will I will tell you about the book. So Own Your Future, One Woman's Story of Immigration and Financial Freedom. Yeah. And the book, the hardcover, was released on June 9th, 2020. Yeah. And I want to tell people, I have three purposes in writing this book. As you can imagine, I'm very busy. So yeah. it's not something I would take lightly. It took me more than a year to finish the book. Uh, so the first purpose is to educate more and inspire more people to start financial planning now. The second purpose is to reveal how wealth management is done by a fiduciary financial planner so ah. that readers can decide how to choose the right financial planner to partner with. That's so important. I believe that's very important. So many people don't even know the word fiduciary. and it- Oh, see, I, I think... Uh, I'm going to take the opportunity to explain that. Mm -hmm. I think fiduciary means you actually have to act based on clients' best interest as a financial advisor. So it's all very important to make recommendations based on clients' best interest, not my own or my firm. Right. And the third purpose of writing this book is to encourage more women to choose this profession to address women's unique challenges um, in this journey in terms of achieving financial independence because very few women actually choose this as a, their career path. Yeah, no, it's so true. And and it's just, it, it's anyone can do it. It's really, I think, having that role model and having that desire to want something better in the future. Yeah, so this book aims to give you the tools and education to think properly about your money, to identify who should be on your financial dream team. Yes. And to offer insights into what each of them should deliver for you. So the key message is wealth management can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. If you have a trusted financial advisor who can help you assemble a financial dream team, so that they can work together to help you simplify financial planning and wealth management. Yeah, it goes it goes a very long way. And, and is that book on Amazon or is it is it going to be in stores as well? Yes, uh, it's everywhere. The best way for you is go to my website, ownyourfuture.guru. So guru is G-U-R-U. So ownyourfuture.guru. And I want to be a guru for many people, even if I cannot serve you as your financial advisor. I want you to be too. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's one of my passion right now, because I personally feel that I have achieved my American dream. And I totally understand how how challenging it is for many people who are struggling right now, especially during the pandemic and recession. 
I yeah. want this book to give people hope. It's really important because it, you know, for me, a few people in my life have changed my life. And I certainly hope by writing this book and connect with people on social media, people can go to that website and connect with me on social media and yeah. so that they can read my blog and whatever I can do to help them, you know, improve their financial situation. And that's what I really want to do. And it's my passion to speak to as many people as possible on all kinds of podcasts to spread, to spread the message of financial planning. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just your story, even in itself, as as a as a female a minority as well, having come to to a brand new country and built this all yourself. It's it's really incredible, and I think COVID is a, is a tragic instance to to take place, and it caught everyone off guard. But I do think this time has kind of been a reality check. So it's really perfect timing for your book to come out, just to showcase everything you've gone through, highlight the knowledge mm-hmm. that you have to share. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think you will be able to fill a big part of that void and, and be that role model that a lot of young women are looking for. You know, now it's more important than ever. Yeah. And I have been reminding people how important it is to plan your cash flow. I mean, it's all basic financial planning, right? You have to it know is, your yeah. cash flow for the next five years so you know where the money is coming from to pay all these bills. And then the other thing is estate planning. Well, during pandemic, don't you think it's really important to revisit your estate plan if you have one? If yeah. you don't have it, you must get the will done and Power, financial power of attorney or healthcare directives. I don't know what they do in Canada, but I think you have similar legal documents to make sure, you know. I imagine we do, but like, you know, similar. the process is always like, oh, I don't feel like doing like it's, <laughs> but like you have to do it. It's so worthwhile. I, yeah, because you, you, it's already chaotic enough for your loved ones if you're suddenly in coma and yeah. you can't manage your finances. Who is stepping in to manage your portfolio for you when you are in coma for like three months? Right, um, and it's the peace of mind, I think, that it brings yeah. you just as a person. It's like, it's like it's just having your finances in order and knowing that your cash flow is coming in, it helps you sleep at night. Yeah. Um, you know, not being in debt helps people sleep at night. All these little things that we don't talk about in our culture that really have an effect on our emotions and, and our mental well-being. We really need to promote financial literacy very early on in our public education. And I am doing volunteers, uh, volunteer work for uh, organizations uh, that promote financial literacy, volunteer for Financial Planning Association here. And uh, it's just so important for me to spread the message because they need to learn when they're before they're 18. I don't want these yeah. people come to me at 60 and say I have saved nothing and yeah. I'm planning to retire in five years. <laughs> yeah. You see, what I mean, it's like you, you really, I really try to get people start really young. But of course, at all stages, you can do something to improve uh, during this yeah. kind of economic times. So um, let's see. Yeah, what, anything, anything else you want me to touch on? Um, yeah, no, I mean, hey, I, I enjoyed the conversation, so we didn't get to some of the questions, but basically just um, how, how can, you know, individuals or retail investors, how can they just best protect, like, mm-hmm. basically in the circumstances where the economy definitely seems like it's 
it's going through a rough patch. But, yeah. You know, the stock market looks like it's chugging along normally. Mm-hmm. Just what do you advise the average person to do right now? Just maybe save some money and, yeah. and start educating themselves? What path would you recommend? Oh, multiple things. Uh, of course, everyone's situation is different. If I'm speaking yeah. to a very broad audience here, I would always go back to the number one thing and say emergency fund. The second thing is SR allocation and diversification is still the most important thing for you to manage risk, especially for people if they tend to invest emotionally, they even need more (laughs) discipline, right? And then they need to invest globally because people tend to invest in their home country and you need to diversify globally. And there are certainly opportunities in emerging market, you know, for example, China and Asia. And I also want people to remember, this is the lesson I've learned too. Time in the market is actually more important than timing of the market when you invest in stock market. Yes, that's so true. So uh, even I made mistakes during my early years that I was trying to time the market thinking I am probably smarter than the average people here. You know, I am overly confident about certain <laughs> abilities. So I had well, to acknowledge that. You have the background. Yeah. Well, even when I was 29, before I changed my career, you know, I've tried different things and I thought I was just so smart. But you know what? In the end, what it matters is you need to save enough to put into the market. You need to yeah. let the magic of compounding to work because you need time yeah. to work it, right? The timing of the market, very few people can do it successfully, especially as you can see how quickly market rebound. If you miss the best 10 trading days, you will not be able to get the market rate of return. Yeah, that's just the truth. You know, it's so true. Well, um, I've got, I've asked you everything, Echo. I've, I've had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people find you first and foremost? So I will put all this information in the show notes, but like, so the link to your book and then just on social media, what handles do you use? Yeah, when if you go to ownyourfuture.guru, that is mm. where my uh, book website is. And I have all my personal social media listed there. So okay. that's Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. And if you are interested in my firm services, you can always go to my firm's website, echowealthmanagement.com. It's just a company name, echowealthmanagement.com. And that's Perfect. where you can see uh, in terms of what my company, you know, our services, processes, and fees and everything there. Okay, great. And then so your your Instagram or sorry, your social handles, I think it's Echo Huang CPA. CFP. Sorry, CFP. Yeah, okay. Echo oh. Huang uh, CFP. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And I guess, well, any last word of advice for the listeners before we go? I would say dare to dream. That, yes. that is my first uh, life guiding principle. In my book, I have listed all the guiding principles. So I would suggest people to buy from Amazon. Uh, you can read it, a Kindle book. Actually, at this moment, uh, there is a special on Amazon Kindle for my book. So if people buy that, I think it's 99 cents for a limited period of time or something. After that, I think it's close to $10 for a Kindle Kindle version. Talk about value. I'm telling you, I don't know when your podcast will be live, but I'm just telling people, if you you buy now, 99 cents. If you wait later, I think it's $9.99 or something. 
Okay, good. So we'll, this episode will be out on the uh, the 27th of August. So we'll make I'll get that in the show notes though, but you can um, yeah. start promoting a few days before, okay? Hey, that sounds great. Thanks so much for coming on, Echo. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Take care as well. You too. Bye. And that is it for episode 52, everybody. If you want to find out more about Echo's story or grab her book, there I will leave all the links in the show notes. So you can reach those there. Her story is incredibly inspiring. So if you've got any dreams, I'm sure they're not too big that you can't achieve. You just got to start working towards them. And you can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested. If you got some value out of this episode, please share it with any friends that you think will get some value out of it as well. And if you wouldn't mind going to leave a review or a rating, it helps me know who's listening. It's great for the organic reach, and I really, really do appreciate it. And uh, hope you just enjoyed this episode, everyone. This is your host, Jordan Highly signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves. Till next time.